0: Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me James J. Butcher. Now, James' debut uh, novel, Dead Man's Hand, came out last October. Get in the frame here. Um, Fantastic book. And the second novel I looked up is coming out this October. Is that correct? Uh, Long past dues?
1: That's correct. Yeah, it should release right about the same time, just a year later from the first one.
0: Awesome. So, James, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself.
1: Uh, well, my name's James J. Butcher. Uh, I've recently become an author. Uh, I've been writing for a while, but only recently have, has anything been worth reading? Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I'm just uh, mostly just a big nerd that, uh, I like telling stories. I like making things. And, uh, for the most part, the, there's only one of those two that I can, uh, make a living off of so far. So I'm going to focus on the the writing aspect.
0: Perfect. Now you said you've been, um, you know, writing for a while. Uh, Obviously, like not everybody gets picked up the same rate. Right? Everybody has those different struggles. What's been kind of the process for you to be picked up to have your first novel uh released?
1: Uh well, um, for those that don't know, uh my my dad's a, a, a fairly well known author as well. Um, and so when I decided I wanted to be an author, uh, I knew that essentially yeah. I've had the crossroads of going under a pen name or not. Um, since I decided I want to keep my real name, I knew that there was gonna be uh Certain different hurdles and uh, a lot of uh, other hurdles that weren't going to be as big of an issue for me. And so um, I kind of went in knowing that when I wrote something that was worth publishing, it would be fairly easy to get some eyes to look at it. Um, so I focused my efforts, not on being visible, but on just trying to improve the quality of what I was writing. So I get to a point where I could go to, you know, a, uh, somebody in the industry that I knew and just say, Hey, can you take a look at this and tell me if you think it's worth, you know, uh, take, uh, editing or or going into the editing process and submitting to be published. And so, I mean, I, I wrote for, uh, eight or nine years before i actually uh took my my manuscript to anybody and uh when i when i uh, found an editor to take a look at it the they immediately wanted to pick it up so um i just tried to focus on writing something that people wanted to read over writing something that would be visible
0: so you know eight or nine years that's a long time writing uh was this particular book Did it go through different iterations or was like how, how was that process Does this book... much
1: yeah, well, this book is book number seven that I actually wrote. So I wrote seven books over the course of the eight or nine years, um, and most of them will never see the light of day. Um, the The very first one I wrote, I actually was so proud of it. I printed it off and it lives in a dusty corner of my closet. Um, that, that one's going to also stay locked away, but it is, it's just God awful. Um, but that's the first book I got to put the end on. So I, it still has a special place in my heart for that um but no i i i wrote several different books in several different settings um the very first thing i wrote was an epic fantasy setting i wanted to write some epic fantasy stuff um but as i got more and more aware of not just um the process of writing but also the the uh more of the industrial side of writing of like finding an audience and and appealing to readers and and um tropes of genres things like that um as i became more and more conscious and aware of those it became a, a much larger decision point of what genre I wanted to write in. And uh, because of the I had three, I think it was that I really wanted were kind of more or less equal in the running to be the first book I was writing to be published. Um, and uh, so the, there was uh, my urban fantasy series, which is the one that did get published. Uh, bit of a spoiler of which one I decided to go with, I suppose. Um, then I had a, uh, epic fantasy that uh, was kind of the, the, the percolations from the very first book I wrote. And then I had a post-apocalyptic uh, story I wanted to write. Um, but because of my namesake, I kind of had the idea that I'd have a certain reader base, um, and they had, would have a certain genre preference from the get-go. And so I decided just to lean into that and write more urban fantasy stuff because the folks that would likely be picking up my book, a great number of them already enjoyed that. So I figured why not write stuff people enjoy.
0: That's awesome. Then I, I thought it was a wise decision. It's a, it's a very good book. I, re, I really liked it. And, you know, your, your dad is very famous and sometimes there's that um, I don't want to be, you know, I want to be like my dad, like kids go through that stage. You're, you're sure. old enough to where like, you're, you're probably out of that stage, but um, you know, and, and that could be a, a certain hurdle because it'd be like, Oh, you know, you're leaning into to what your, your father wrote and things like that. But you know, this book is so well written and so well done that, you know, you, if your dad didn't exist, like this, if this was out on the market, like people would be drawn to it and be like, "Oh my gosh, like this is amazing." So you you did a very very good job of of separating yourself um, from from you know anything that your father has done.
1: Thank you, I appreciate that.
0: So let's let's talk about this story. I mean, this if, if somebody picks this up and wants to become a writer, I think this is a master class because I think, like you said, you you there's certain tropes that you use, and and tropes are important when telling stories because people. An idea of what you know you a story should be. So, I mean, you have let's just talk about your I'm, I'm gonna call them the three protagonists, even though there's some ancillary ones. But, um, Griswold Grimsby is kind of a down on his luck, um, wannabe magician at full, uh, you know, at a, a fast food restaurant. Um, and, and that's kind of a trope where you it's, it's kind of like the farm boy, right? He's, he's kind of not living the where. He wants to be. Um he has some magical abilities, but he only can do two spells. Um I, I'm not gonna go into him. You can go into him if you want. Um, what yeah. sort of decisions did you kind of go in there? Why why two? Why why not more? Three or four or five or or whatnot? I mean, I think limitations make things a little bit more interesting, but why why did you settle on those and those particular spells?
1: Um, so like one of the, the coolest parts about urban fantasy is, is magic, right? That's the main part that people are drawn to and how that changes the world that they live in and their perception of it. Um, and it's really easy with magic to go overboard and just have every problem be able to be solved by throwing a fireball at it or something similar. And so, um, and, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a big D D player and I, I will, uh, forever score the wizard my party that hit third level and didn't take fireball you know like it's such it's the go-to spell and so i wanted the main character that he f- would face a lot of problems and many of them could be solved by something as, as blunt as a fireball and he doesn't have access to that And um, I backpedaled from that a little bit and thought more about, well, if he can't solve, if he doesn't have Fireball, what else doesn't he have? And it it ended up being, he used to have like three or four very broadly versatile spells. And I I found that that was very boring because every problem he encountered was solved by just the, the most obvious application of a spell. And so I kept taking magic away from him, essentially, until he was left with just two very fundamental mechanics Um, And those are both basically one spell pulls two objects together and the other spell turns objects in a direction. And so finding creative ways for him to apply those spells was a lot more fun than it was to just have him have the right tool for the job in the toolbox. You know, having him struggle with an inappropriate tool and still get the job done is way more interesting to write and to read.
0: Exactly. And that's what, you know, what I said earlier, like having limitations and how a character and how a writer can lean into that and figure things out creatively is just so much fun and so interesting that you know you just kind of have to keep reading and be like oh man he's in this situation but he can only do these two things how on earth can he solve the problem with with these two limitations so that was amazing now your second character your protagonist um leslie um I keep saying wallflower in my head, but it's Mayflower.
1: <laughs> Mayflower, yeah. Mayflower. Yeah,
0: Mayflower. Now he um he's he's kind of like the mentor type. I call him an anti mentor. Like he, he's just kind of thrown right. in there. He, you know, I don't want to give any spoiler spoilers, but like he's he's kind of thrown in this situation and he kind of has to make a tough decision right off the bat and kind of takes Grimsby under his wings. Um, or is it wing? Um now you could have gone in a different direction, like the the willing sort of um mentor but this guy doesn't want to be there he's he's kind of dragging Grimsby along most of the way um so that was that was a fun character as well like how did he develop in your head
1: um well I, I always am drawn to strong uh, uh, uh mentee mentor relationships um like I always find that dynamic very interesting especially the more differed the two personalities are um, when you have two characters that are just so different in so many ways, and one of them has a lot to teach the other, and that's the obvious mentor. Um, it's really fun to also invert that dynamic and have the, the student be able to teach the, the mentor some stuff along the way as well. Um, so I knew going in that I wanted the two of them to be very opposite of one another. And so, for instance, uh, Grimsby's a witch. He knows magic, and that's one of his, kind of his main contribution to most conflicts, um and May, uh, mayflower is essentially a witch hunter and he obviously doesn't have any magic he uses you know iron and steel and and mostly guns to deal with his problems and so the the obvious things that a mentor would teach in a lot of the a lot of these kind of books and settings is you know the your your wizard mentor teaches you how to better use your magic and obviously that's not something that can happen in this scenario and so the things that um uh, they, they end up teaching each other less about their uh, areas of martial competency and more about um, uh, emotional development of one another and how to survive in a dangerous world and so uh Mayflower was fun to design because I took Grimsby was my starting point and I just kind of just thought to myself all right what is the opposite of Grimsby in every respect and so Grimsby is a little short Mayflower is very tall Grimsby has a cool name Mayflower does not Uh, uh Grimsby is is very nervous and uh in in unprepared for the world environment he's in mayflower has seen everything he's he's experiencing a, a dozen times before at least and so creating that character that was just so grizzled was a lot of fun because it just was so fresh compared to the the kind of the, the fresh fledgling character
0: right and another dynamic is because we scars and mayflower or yeah, mayflower has see i keep wanting to say mayflower, mayflower has emotional scars and like that's that's, that's one right. of the cool things that in that book you bring out like um, Grimsby is kind of whining and and Mayflower is like so everybody deals with this like get over it and so like that was kind of an emotional uh, mentor thing that he was able to to teach and then the third one I love this character Wood um, and he kind of reminds me of kind of a Cheshire Cat style character like sure. how, how did you come up with
1: him um well I, I first off i just want to point out i got my very first fan art at phoenix fan con and it was of wudge and that's oh, nice that's fantastic to me um but uh wudge was an interesting character because i just i saw uh uh you know i i'm on i follow pinterest boards or just scroll through pinterest occasionally and i just saw this this picture of like a goblin looking dude, very depressed on a ledge and just with long dripping, uh, draping like t- feet and toes. And I was like, oh, that that image just stuck in my head. And I started kind of playing around with it. And I started adding little features to it because because it, Wudge is not himself a goblin. And I didn't want him to have some of those iconic features. And so I wanted someone that was small and depressed and mischievous. And that, that was basically his his kind of three go to uh, characteristics. And um, he's got, um, for those that haven't read it yet, he he's a a small uh, creature from another another world, essentially in a lot of ways. And he wears a uh, onion on his head as a helmet um, that he has clawed the eyes out and sees through the the gouges in the onion. And he was just such a fun character to create because I there was nothing off the table for that kind of character. Like the idea of wearing an onion as a helmet is kind of an absurdity, but at the same time it works for that character because he is so alien um there's no i don't have to justify anything which is as a writer super fun to to be in that position because usually you got to set up the, the you know the, all the support structure for why the world allows this and why the characters think the way they do and for wudge i don't have to do any of that wudge i could just do what i feel like would be fun in the moment and it still works pretty well
0: uh, it's a, it was a fun character to read i i really liked Wudge a lot i'm sure you've had well i don't i don't know yeah uh, i would assume that you might have had you know, a good uh, reaction fan base uh, from that character. I mean, you said you mm-hmm. got f- fan art from it.
1: Yeah, if people tell me they like a character, that it's usually what they're talking about,
0: right? So, I mean, let's talk about Phoenix Fan Fusion. Um, it was your first convention. Um, what What did you learn, and what did you find valuable of doing a convention like that?
1: Um, well, it was my, I have been to conventions before, just not as an attending professional. Um, so this was my first one where people were there were there to see me, or at least some people were, um, which was very bizarre. Um, but you know, I, I had my, my very first panel and sat up there and mostly rambled and tried not to ramble too much because, uh, I tend to over talk when I'm nervous a lot like the Grimsby does in my books, because that's <laughs> really easy for me to replicate. Um, and so. It was, it was, it ended up being like, uh, I went in super nervous, but the more I, I talked and the more folks asked questions, the, the more confident I felt. And it was, uh, ended up being a lot of fun. Um, I mean, it was still exhausting because I'm not exactly the most social person in my day to day. And so interacting with people three solid days in a row was, was, I was just happy to be home come, come Sunday night, you know, but it was still, it was, it was enjoyable and I'm glad I did it.
0: That's, that's fun. I mean, you, you, I watched one panel, I think, and you did amazing. um it was the the magic systems, like the hard versus soft magic. and
1: yeah, um, I think that was the first one, actually,
0: yeah, I think so too. um and you know you you were um articulate enough, unlike me that my cousin, who wasn't planning on buying the book, but ended up buying the book, so
1: that's awesome you know, was, yeah that that was that was always one of the more genuine compliments. When somebody they said, "I wasn't going to read your book until I heard you talk," and I was like, "Okay, I feel justified and in <laughs> my my competence a little bit."
0: No, that's and you know the signing that I was at uh, you had a pretty good line. So you know people people are are you're getting the word out somehow, um, and people are finding your book. So that's got to be you know as a, as a writer who wants to sell books, when you see that line forming, um, yeah, that's got to be exciting.
1: Yeah, I think we actually sold out of uh, my my books that weekend. So. No, that's exciting. Yeah, I was I was
0: glad I was able to pick up a book when I did. So
1: yeah, definitely. Um,
0: now you said you're not not very social. Um, granted, mo- a lot I'd say most science fiction and fantasy fans and authors are more kind of introverted. So what sort of writing habits today? What what's a, a day in the life of James J. Butcher?
1: Um, so for me. Uh, I try to make a habit of focusing on uh, consistency over intensity. Um, And so for the most part, my writing sessions are one to two hours long and I get, you know, uh, a a, a thousand words is is like a good benchmark goal for me. Um, And I try to do that every single day. Um, and obviously there's days I miss because, you know, whatever, because life gets in the way somehow or another. Um, and then there's some days where I feel particularly in, like inspired to write and I write in closer to three, four, maybe 5,000 words. Um, but the f- important part is I, in my opinion, the consistency of the writing, um, uh, on a daily basis, rather than just the, the being inspired to write. Cause you can't rely on that inspiration. Um, And so I try to build writing into my daily habits so that it's something that I just do without thinking about it much. And so uh, I'm kind of a night owl. Um, So, you know, uh, I usually write about midnight. I'll I'll sit down, uh, turn off every screen in the house outside my laptop, um, pop in a couple of headphones and play some usually instrumental music. And then just uh, sit in front of my computer and I got nothing else I can be doing besides writing for a couple hours. And usually, the, like, I won't do anything for 15 or 20 minutes. I'll just stare at a blank page or, or stumble on what I want to start the chapter with. And then once I kind of get moving, by the end of that two hours, I've got my my goal done and I can just feel, uh, uh, you know, validated for the day as a, as a writer. Um, and I think building it into the daily habits is the most important thing.
0: Now, you touched on a point where I think the majority of authors that I've interviewed um, have said consistency um, is is king. Like, you have to do something every day in order to progress your goals. And, you know, 1,000 words is fantastic. Like, if you can do 1,000 words every single day, that's 365,000 words in a year. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know how, like, I'm guessing this is probably about 120,000, somewhere around there.
1: Yeah, it's a little over 100,000, maybe 110, thereabouts.
0: Yeah, so like I mean that's three books that you can put out a year. Obviously there's there's other aspects of writing, there's sure. editing and, and different things, but if somebody that's just starting out and can do that consistency, three hundred and sixty five thousand like three novels that they can come out with and and learn a lot from each one. I mean you said your first novel, it was the first novel you know, you were able to put the end on it, right? Like yeah. that's a big key for lots of people to just finish something.
1: Yeah, and I still remember that book and that story. Like the other like the six or the the other five books between that book and the one I actually published, I don't remember a damn thing about most of them. Uh oh, sorry, excuse me. That's okay. Uh, uh but uh, uh that first story, because I got to put the end on there, is it was so it it was something different. Even though it wasn't very good, it was still something special.
0: Yeah. So I mean, if if you don't take anything else from this interview, um, other than buy james's book and be consistent in your writing like you, you've gotten your your money's worth of gold right here so um I, I noticed a guitar um you know behind you um and you listen to instrumental music as you as you're you're writing um who are some of your favorite bands and this is this is just throwing out there like how do you heard some of your favorite bands that, that inspire you
1: um well when i when i write i try to pick music that is like The usually the most inoffensive, like in terms of like how much of my headspace it takes up, which is why I lean towards instrumental music, Um, I I turn the volume down pretty low so it's not like you know blaring and distracting like I just kind of want to be able to focus on other stuff, Um, and so I don't pay too much attention to what I have on while I'm writing. Um, but when I do, when I'm thinking about how to make stories and or when I'm, because most of the time I'm listening to music, I'm usually at the gym. Um, and w- the, at that point, like my headspace is pretty much free. And so the music that I'm listening to and the stories that I'm writing kind of start to coalesce and coincide. And so I listen to a lot of, um, I really like covers um, that are performed by uh, people that are very different than the original artist. Um, Like the the quintessential uh, example of that is uh, Johnny Cash's "Hurt," you know his version of uh, the song "Hurt," and uh, was it Nine Inch Nails' version of the song? The original is very different than his version, uh, either way. And uh, it's just a it's a very um, different experience, and it puts a different perspective and spin on the on the same words. Um, But I I like I, I like whole you know swaths of genres of music. I wouldn't say I'm too particular um I like country a lot uh mostly like uh uh oh, what is his name Tyler childers uh he's he's one of my favorites lately um I like some of his faster songs I like uh I like rap uh quite a bit um I listen to a lot of Mm when I'm working out especially um but you know I I wouldn't say I have like a particular like favorite band favorite genre it's more of like the like the 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 lyrics of the of the songs are really what get to me because I you know I'm a words guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the if if the the words of the song have a certain poetry to them or a certain message to them that that resonates with me, then I'll just listen to that song on repeat. You know, I'm, I'm that kind of guy where I have like, I'll cycle through a playlist of 30 songs over the course of a year, five, six of them will change, you know, it just slowly evolves in the playlist. But I'll listen to that same stuff over and over again
0: that's funny that's how i am i don't I, I don't get tired of songs very easily like if i yeah. like something especially if i'm working out or something you said you sit down and, and write and you know you can stare at a blank, blank page for 15 20 minutes before you, you start um do you i mean there's a couple ways to phrase this but like are you uh, a plotter like do you do an outline or do you more free write? How, how's your process
1: um i'm a big fan of what i like to call like milestone writing um, where I essentially you know I'm I'm at the gym I'm listening to a song I'm working out and then a, an idea pops in my head for just a cool image uh, for for some random thing like I mean the the whole Grimsby series or the uh, Unorthodox Chronicle series started from me having the image of a, a a wizard having a real fight with real monsters on top of a plastic castle um and I built in the entire story off from that one image and so when I do think of those images in my head that are just cool visually, um, or concepts that are cool and don't make a lot of sense, I set them up in as milestones and in, in my writing and I kind of sit down and I could see the milestone in the distance be like, okay, how do I get from there to th- from here to there? And I start structuring like literally the shape of the universe of the story around supporting my progression from point A to point B. Cause I know what point B is going to be. Um, I don't generally have a lot of the small stuff planned out, um, but I do. Those big keystone moments are ones that I, I really um, just kind of build the stories around. So I I like knowing what I want the story to look like, and you know, uh, at, at in a hundred pages and two hundred pages by the end. But I I don't like knowing what this, I want the story to look like in five pages. You know, I don't I don't want to plan the short term as much. I want to have the creative flexibility to kind of just go in a direction if I think it's fun or cool. Um, But I that direction needs to be towards one of those milestones. So I don't get too off track and just kind of end up having a 200,000 word book when I'm supposed to have 100,000.
0: That's kind of funny, because I've talked to lots of authors now. I think you're my 72nd interview, I think. And people will say they're they're outliners. And explain to me exactly what you just said on how they're outlining. Like they'll just do, you know, kind of these key moments and people will say, Oh no, I free, like I'm totally just a pantser. And they'll explain yeah. to me, Oh, I just have these milestones that I go through. So like this, it's, it's kind of funny, like the different people will look at it in a different lens.
1: Yeah. Just their perspective is different. I, I, I always consider my approach to be a little bit more of a, a hybrid thing. Um, But again, you know, most people I talk to, they, they, all right, it's kind of my same experience as yours where they, describe what i describe in a slightly different set of terminology but it's pretty much the same thing
0: yeah and you know that's kind of fun as a writer too because you're not tied down to anything and you as you're writing um there's surprises right like you're writing and your character does something you're like oh man i didn't even know that was yeah. going to happen but it's it's funner like that
1: yeah for sure it, it, that that creative freedom and structure combined i think makes for good storytelling um especially from the the creative's perspective because it keeps it gives you some guidelines but it doesn't restrict you too much so it helps you get the work done at the end of the day
0: right now this is oh man it was did you say the eighth book or ninth book that this that you finished?
1: uh the very first book was my seventh that I, the first okay. book i published was my seventh your seventh book
0: now what are some of the things that you kind of learned along the way? Now, I have a problem with um, reining characters in, like characters just kind of go off on their own. And I'm like, OK, you're way out in left field. How am I going to rein this back in? Now, that's just something that I've I've kind of learned. What are some things that you that you've learned that you found? OK, this is my weakness. I've I've strengthened this. This is my strength. Like I'm going to lean into that.
1: Um, for me, I, I mean, I think every writer has their pitfall tendencies when they're, when they're starting that they have to kind of, you know, gain some, uh, self perspective on to fix, um, for me, because, you know, I'm, I'm an only child and I, I grew up, you know, playing video games by myself for the most part, um, outside of like, for, you know, when I started actually making friends in middle school and so on, uh, I tend to write loner characters a lot and loner characters are just really boring they don't interact with other people they don't talk to other people the dialogue isn't there so the story feels very slow paced and and drags its feet because you're focused on description and introspection and that's just so so dull and the first it took me like four books to figure that out like uh, (laughs) i'm not the most self-aware individual but um So that was one of my big pitfalls was uh, writing loner characters that just didn't interact with people enough, didn't have enough conflicts with other people around them and didn't have enough emotional engagements and attachments to the people around, Um, which made it very difficult for a reader to gain perspective on a story, especially if you're writing in an alien environment like epic fantasy, because that's one of the things that grounds the reader is even if it's a a knight and a princess if they're if they have a a romantic interest in one another that's something that most readers can have some sort of empathetic uh, connection with um or empathic connection with because they've been in a similar parallel experience just in a different world and so when you take away that emotional element from uh, stories with alien settings it's just one more hurdle you have to you've given yourself really to overcome to get your readers to be invested in your story Um, And there's a whole slew of those that if I thought about it, I could probably dig up of my own personal mistakes um, and pitfalls that I have tendencies towards. But I think a good chunk of them have been ironed out. And mostly now I I have uh, uh, actual literal word pitfall tendencies where I tend to use the same phrase occasionally in a book way too much and things like that and that's kind of I I like to think that I'm getting to the point in my my uh you know professional skill level that that like those smaller issues are my bigger issues to deal with because I've kind of conquered a lot of the fundamentals
0: well that's something people might not realize is in their day-to-day life they'll say the same phrase over and over and when they put that in a book they don't realize that they're doing that until yeah like that's why you kind of have editors and they're like okay like you're saying this a lot
1: yeah like, editors can ridiculous. be a godsend for that uh, uh in my my second book i just did, finished uh like one of the larger rounds of edits on and for whatever reason the phrase for me for a moment i wrote that thing like 180 times over the course of the book it was way too much and i ended up having to trim so many of them and find you know alternative phrasings and things like that and by the end by the time i got to the end i was so sick and repeated repeated it so much and then i wrote a scene at the very end of the book that i wasn't going to include before and i was like it's like you know four or five paragraphs long and i go to back to the the start of that scene literally the first three words for a moment i just like head planted onto my keyboard i was so disappointed with myself, oh, that's
0: fantastic. <laughs> that's funny. Now, going back to you know, you said you wrote about loner characters. Really, like you got around it with this uh, first book, is because you had two loner characters. But you put them together, and they had such an interesting dynamic that that's one uh, tip or trick that somebody can do if they're they're finding it. Like we'll we'll use loner characters, and they could be two outgoing characters or two depressed characters or whatever. But if you put two of them together and they're different enough. They're dynamic and feed off each other and make for a very interesting uh, pairing as they they go on throughout their book. And another thing you said was conflict. Like it has a story, kind of has to have conflict to make it interesting.
1: For sure, um, yeah. And I think that's also something that, important to be said is that. When when you have those weaknesses as a writer, the, your goal is not necessarily to eliminate them entirely, but rather how to figure out how to turn them into strengths for yourself. And so, you know, because it took me four books to figure out I only write loner characters, I had four more books of experience writing loner characters. And so, understanding why they those characters didn't work, but still taking in the parts of those characters that did work and incorporating them as the protagonist in a story, I really. Kind of eliminated a lot of the weaknesses uh, of that pit, my, my that personal pitfall of mine, um, but still kept the the strengths that I think it gave me.
0: No, exactly, and like like I said, you did a fantastic job at, at doing that. So, thank you. That, that wasn't wasted effort. So, lots of people think that, oh man, I wrote four novels, like it's just throw them away and that's it. Like, take that stuff that you learn and uh, grow and learn and, and progress and, and find ways that you can improve. So, uh, that's a that's another tip and trick that you know, you just taught me. So thank you. <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely.
0: You said you worked out. What are some of your habits to to keep you balanced? Uh, you know, you can kind of get lost in your own little world writing. Like how do you, how do you stay balanced and, and get yourself out of that?
1: Uh, well, uh, for me, it is definitely uh, the gym is the, the first kind of tool that I figured out to how to um, use to emotionally balance myself a lot. Um, I started working out when I was about 20. And I started writing when I was about twenty-one. So I've actually been working out a little bit longer than I was really writing for. It was like college writing. It was like literature writing, and that's not how that's not how I was going to become, you know, a professional in the field. And um, that's just not my style. And it, so it was not that is was a little bit more wasted effort on my part. Uh, but it took me a couple of years of college to figure that out. Uh, and but uh, yeah, I think right uh, working out is definitely the number one thing that I use to. Uh, to balance myself in a lot of ways, and um, for me at least, I found a lot of parallels between um, like weightlifting and writing. Um, I think there's a a shocking number of overlaps in that. But I also think that if I had picked up uh, playing the violin instead of lifting weights, that I would also see a shocking number of overlaps uh, overlaps with that and writing. You know, you you find aspects of your personal life that you can start you uh finding ways to communicate what writing means to yourself um like you figuring out to yourself and describing it to yourself in terms that you understand because of the other other aspects of your life and so i think that's important to have some some stuff you pursue aside from writing um, for that reason because you have to have you know you have to have an expansive uh perspective uh, the more expansive perspective the better for most folks And the the being able to keep writing in in your perspective as something that it's not the whole of who you are, you know, you're a whole person beyond that. And writing is just a tool that you use to communicate fun stories to people, you know, keeping it keeping it uh, humble, I think is really important. Like, you know, writing is not this divine gift or anything like that. It's I'm just. To, I, this is stories that if I wasn't a writer, I'd be telling my friends over a D&D table, you know, like it's nothing too fancy. Um, so I think it's really important to have those other pursuits that kind of help frame uh, your professional pursuits.
0: Now, D&D, uh, you just mentioned it. So I'm assuming that's a, another thing that kind of keeps you balanced. Um, how like how long has your group been going? Do you have a uh, is it pretty consistent?
1: Um, no, not really. I mean, I hop in and out of groups occasionally. Um, For the most part, I don't really run games. I haven't run games in a while, at least, um, because that headspace is, you know, I've only got so much of it. And I'd rather get it on a page than it on a table. Um, But I still have a bunch of, you know, as I'm writing more, I'm coming up with more stories that aren't appropriate for books, but would be a lot of fun to run like over a tabletop with other players. So I'm, I'm getting more and more tempted to run a game. But uh, for the most part, I, I just hop in my friends' games. I usually play some small, troublesome, mischievous character that is very watchlike. like that's, that's usually my go-to uh, because it's just a lot more fun to cause trouble than it is to solve it in a DD and d game.
0: No, and you're right about having a headspace. Like, I don't well, I don't do uh, D&D. Um, I, I do Pathfinder with my family. And I have to have, like, pre-written adventures or else, like, it's so much harder to come up with new things while I'm sure. trying to write and stuff. So
1: yeah, and I I also play Pathfinder. I kind of use the terms interchangeably, but to yeah. most laymen, they they understand what D and D is. A lot of people that don't aren't in the circles don't know what Pathfinder is. So right. it's just simpler. No,
0: and I, and I agree. And I I did do D and D for a while with some of my uh, son's friends and stuff as they were kind of getting into it. But my son has kind of taken that over, and we just do like a family game. So there you go.
1: Yeah, I used to I used to do D and D and Pathfinder games with my dad all the time too. He would he would run the game, and me and my my friends would cause trouble for him and his stories constantly, which I like to think would help prepare him for his own writing endeavors.
0: Exactly. Earlier, you talked about you you were planning on or you wanted to write in different genre or not different subgenres of fantasy, um, sure. epic. Um, was the was like a pocket apocalyptic. Uh, yeah, and then the fantasy, urban. So. Is that something you want to pursue later on in your career? Um, Obviously, you probably have a contract with um, this current series. Um, Yeah. Uh,
1: So I I do want to uh, continue writing the Unorthodox Chronicles. Um, I'm not sure exactly how long I want to be. Currently, the contract's for for three books. But um, I I think if the current trajectory for these three books continues like the first book did, that I'm pretty sure we can uh, get some more books out of that series without too much trouble. Um, but I want to, I've been working on developing my professional habits and, um, cause this is the first time I've had to work under deadlines and this, uh, book two, I just finished writing was the first sequel I've ever written, which was an interesting experience. Cause usually if you're, when you're practicing, you write a book, you start over, you write a new book, you start over, you don't write sequels of the books that failed. Um, so, uh, this is the first book that succeeded. So I had to write a sequel to it and I'd never done that before. And so um, there's a bunch of new experiences, even after having published my first book that I'm still kind of grappling with. And so one of them is working with deadlines and figuring out my own uh, my own uh, potential and how much I can write to uh, how much I need to be writing to reach these deadlines. And my goal is to be able to finish a book for the most part, in about six months, and then and basically have an off-season that I can start writing a book for something else that's non contractually I really like to be putting out two books a year, one book in the Unorthodox Chronicles pretty consistently, and then have a second kind of slot, more or less, that I can just kind of write what I feel like writing or write a second series or a different uh, genre and kind of explore that instead. Um, so those are kind of the first on my list to to uh write and I actually before I was working on the sequel I was uh focused on writing uh, uh my post-apocalyptic book and I I got a decent way through it but I'm probably going to scrap it and start over again because it just wasn't quite right but that happens for, you know fairly consistently um especially for the first book in a series once cuz you, you have so much more freedom with the first book cuz once you start writing the sequel I found out you've you've obligated yourself to all these rules and laws and the universe you've established and you actually have to know them and go back and make sure they're all supported. And it's such a such a bigger pain than it is to write just the first book where you can do whatever you want. And uh, then I'm I'm starting to think now that I'm writing book three of the Unorthodox Chronicles that I actually have to remember what book two said too. But we'll we'll see uh, as I as I progress through there. I want to get this third book manuscript done, and hopefully then I'll have time before the end of the year to get a good chunk of uh, something a uh, new project done. I'd be I think that'd be a lot of fun.
0: No, and that's that's kind of funny because that's something you don't think about or realize. Like, oh man, now I've got uh, a couple books contracted. Now I have to go back and, and reread stuff like. I can't imagine somebody like Brandon Sanderson getting thrown a somebody, you know, a world that's not even his, right. The whole time, like, yeah. and Like he's got to go through and read all that. But granted he was a fan beforehand, but sure. he's got to make sure that everything's right and everything's correct. And, and stuff like that. Like, and I mean, people with tons and tons of books, I'm sure they have to go through and read each and every one just to refresh their memory. Cause I mean, it's a, it's a world you create and stuff, but just like, you know, I I've read, you know, like your dad has, um, is it 20 books in the Dresden files or, or whatever. Like I can't remember anything. Like I don't even yeah, know how he does it. In the it.
1: high teens, right now, I think.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And for for most of the writers I've talked to, um, it, that's where beta readers really are a godsend. You know, because they're the ones that they're because when when you're writing it it's like it's it's you know it's your craft it's your baby but at the same time it's also your work and so you you to keep emotional health you still distance yourself a little bit from it but for your readers ideally it's just something that they're passionate about and they don't need to have any of that distance and so they can obsess over it and you be- do this you're not allowed to do this because you said in book four chapter six that you did this instead and like but and while that would be uh, annoying to a degree it's also a lifesaver because like that's something that I, i would very easily overlook because you know i've not only am i focused on this book and the next three books trying to make sure they all make sense but also each of the previous books that have been published you know i have four or five different versions of them that that i went through in the various iterations i'm not sure which one made it to the book a lot of the times just because i i you know it was especially as you get farther from it you you have so many versions that in your head that kind of blur together and i have to i find myself constantly going back like did i say that or did i take that out or did i remember to add that in or did i forget to add that in i have to go back and reference myself and so having beta readers that are people that just enjoy your books and want you to to write something cool and be consistent with what you've told them in the past is fantastic for that.
0: So um, who are some of your influences?
1: Um, I, I would say when it comes to the actual craft of writing, the, the place I've learned the most from is probably uh, uh, Brandon Sanderson um, because he is one of the writers that has gone far and away out of his way to teach people how to write books to, with a professional mindset. Um, Like there's a lot of writers out there that, that have uh, you know, grandiose ways of telling you to express yourself and put yourself on the page and so on. And Brandon Sanderson is the one that actually shows you the nuts and bolts of how to do that. Um, And he has, you know, he's gone and he's put up, he taught classes at, uh, I think it was BYU, um or at some university i don't want to misquote which one it is but he taught classes at a U is it BYU? okay Yeah. yeah he taught classes there he recorded them and put them up for free on a youtube channel where he very easily could have you know put them behind a paywall of thousands of dollars you know like he's i think he he does a lot of effort to just help people become writers for for no other reason than that he wants more people to be writers and i think that's uh both uh, very worth a lot of respect and also incredibly useful uh, for anybody that wants to become a writer, as you might imagine. Um, and so those 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 courses are the number one place that I would have anybody start uh, if they or just didn't have much of an idea going into the the profession.
0: Yeah, and it's fun because I think that who what you teach, if you see people progressing and learning and, and applying those things and becoming writers themselves, like, that's kind of like the hall, like that's the fruit of the his teachings right and like he's had people who've taken the class and have come out come out and become new york times bestsellers and and stuff like that so yeah what he's teaching is valuable so yeah that's that's a great resource and um and he actually took over the class from um dave wolverton uh, aka david farland who was a fantastic writer and you know, oh that's right of himself so in fact uh brandon took the class from david so david taught brandon how to write who's passing that along to other people who are
1: there you go yeah resellers. continuing so, the tradition
0: yeah that's uh, that's fantastic and and he's a great resource um he's got the writing excuses podcast that he used to host and and so many other things that he's just been open about so um yeah he's a great resource are, are you planning on going to any other conventions that people can can meet you this year
1: yeah um the only one that i currently have on the schedule will be uh, dragon con in atlanta and i think that's uh, in september some sometime i don't remember exactly the date uh, It's it's right at the end of one month and on to the other because i so i don't remember if it's the end of september or the end of uh, uh august but it's it's somewhere in there
0: and then your book comes out in october are you planning on doing any signings for that
1: um, I might be doing a local signing here in Denver. Um, uh, if folks are interested, they can keep their eyes peeled. Uh, I, I did a meeting with the the the, the publicist group at Penguin uh, not too long ago, and they wanted to set something up. So I, I let them handle those details. That's one of the nice things about having a publisher is that I can focus on just writing the books and not much else. Um, but if uh, I get more information about that, I'll probably put it up on you know my Instagram or, or some other social media if I can uh, find a good uh, venue for it
0: right and for people who are beginning their journey like there are pros and cons to indie publishing and traditional publishing and that's one of them like if you're indie published like you have to be in charge of everything and so like sometimes you don't want to do all that stuff yeah
1: if you're a control freak go for indie publishing because you get to control every little thing uh like if you if you don't want people telling you that you know they don't like the name of the, the that you chose for the series Uh, and that that you need to change it, like what happened to me, then uh, I I, I would highly recommend independent publishing. But if if something like that doesn't bother you very much, like it doesn't bother me too terribly much that the name changed, like, and you want to focus more on the writing aspect, publishers are great for that.
0: Right. So do you have any uh, final tips or tricks that you can share with anybody?
1: I I would just try to find something that you enjoy in life that isn't writing and start making parallels between that and writing. Help yourself both uh, help you understand both of the aspects that you've chosen and uh, ways that you can enrich both areas of your life by pursuing them simultaneously.
0: Perfect. Now, James, go ahead and tell people how they can find your book. Um, Obviously, it's a Navy major retailer, but uh, and to find you.
1: Uh, well, I'm on Instagram. Um, that's my main social media kind of interaction thing. And it's it's still pretty bare. Uh, I think we touched on the fact that I'm not super social a lot of time, but I, I try to respond to anybody that messages me on there. Um, I think my handle is just at James J. Butcher. Um, so if you if you uh, want to follow me or just send me a message saying something about the book, feel free. Um, and uh, you can pick up the book, I mean, anywhere that you would expect to really uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, uh, a lot of uh, you know, smaller independent bookstores, I'm sure carry it. So just wherever you find other books, you'll probably find that one at some point. Perfect. Thank you so much. I learned a lot from you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Troy podcast. Please subscribe, like and share with your friends.